Holy Spirit, your presence doesn't live in this building, you live in these people. And I pray now that the combination of the power of your word and the power of the Spirit within us, Lord, will not just bring interesting thoughts and ideas, but I pray it will deposit revelatory freedom in our lives. Lord, I thank you. You love us. You've got good things in store for us. Help us now to lean into you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Great stuff. Please take your seats, everyone. So good to see you this morning. Thank you, band. So good. So we are in a series at the moment called Healed and Healing. And the last few weeks, we've looked at the need to clear out. You remember that picture about my clearing out of my garage, a long overdue task. Someone was telling me yesterday at the men's breakfast that they related on so many levels, except they haven't yet cleaned out their garage. And uh, when they've tried in the past, it keeps getting messy again. And I said, oh, the answer to that is you've got to have a purpose to it. You've got to need the garage for something. And uh, God's clearing out our lives because he has need of some stuff in us. And it's just been really exciting just to hear stories of people doing just that. Then we looked at week two, we looked at our addiction to busy. And uh, how, many, how many people just resonate with that? Just that sense of like the drivenness of our lives. And just chill out, guys. Just chill out and enjoy just the grace of God. And then last week we looked at our brokenness and how the Lord brings us to a place of desiring to lead us into wholeness. And I believe that what we're doing is setting the scene for God to do some encounter stuff in our lives. And I believe next Sunday we're going to be praying for a a lot of um, people who are physically unwell. And we're going to see, I believe, God's in his mercy just touching bodies and lives and bringing healing. So if you're unwell, do come along next week and pray this week that God will prepare your hearts and your lives for that. I also believe next week that God's been preparing us because there's going to come deliverance, there's going to come freedom from some things, some chains that have held us back, things that have been holding us down. But today is another bit of a preparation for that moment, leading us towards that place of living in freedom, not just to talk about it, not just to understand it, not just to theorize around it, but to actually live it and to walk in its freedom. And I've got a really unusual sort of subtitle really, that I want to bring into this uh, particular week's theme. And it's really around destroying and getting rid of our time machines. That's a weird thing. Anybody got a time machine in their garage? Um, But all of us have got time machines in our lives where we will regularly just wander back to past occasions. Things take us back there. It may not be a machine that takes you physically back. But there are ways that we travel back to old things in our lives. And I want to encourage us in these next few moments to deal with those things. Let me be practical about some of the things that started this as I was um, preparing this morning. And that is to ask a question of what songs trigger things for you. Was Was there a song? Was there a song? that was um, playing on the jukebox when you proposed? <laughs> was, there, was there something that you grew up with in the family home that every time you hear that song being played, it reminds you of your childhood? Songs are powerful, aren't they? 
How many can remember songs, the words of songs from decades ago? And you didn't sit down and write them down and make it a discipline to remember them. They just sort of get in you, don't they? They sort of hang around. They, and that can be used uh, in a really good way in our life. And songs really give us something that takes us beyond the physical, takes us into something of the emotion and the soul of something. Songs are really powerful. They have a way of channeling feelings. They, that's why when we approach Christmas, which uh, will probably not be too far away now, I probably shouldn't mention that. Not when we're just in southwest beach weather. Come on. We live in the southwest, guys. We can go to the beach. But Christmas is coming. 217 days. You know that. When you finish your conversation, I'll bring 217 days. And way in advance of that big day, every time we walk into a retail environment, there will be music playing in the background. And it will be festive. It will have sleigh bells. It will have familiar tunes. And the reason for that is that it gives uh, our souls just a little bit of warmth. It gives us some nostalgia. It gives us some recollections that we begin to feel positive about those things, and the hope is in a retail environment that you will spend more as a result of that warm, fuzzy feeling that those songs give you. And as I was preparing this week, I really sensed the Holy Spirit say that there are people here who need to get rid of some soundtracks that they've had in their life. Because there are soundtracks that are causing you to get stuck in a life that no longer exists for you. We've looked at over the last few weeks that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And there are some like portals, some time machines, that, some songs that keep taking people back to a life that no longer exists. And that God, because he cares for us, and we'll look at this more in a moment, because he wants more than okay for us, he wants us to get rid of some of those portals that are causing us to get stuck. Now this might literally apply to some music, or it may be some memorabilia, or it may be some souvenirs, it may be some stories, it may be some things that every time you see them, you recite them, you tell them, you engage with them, that it takes you back to a life that no longer Exists and it's become so endemically part of your identity, but it's not your best identity, and it's certainly not your new identity. When I, um, over the years, I've visited lots of lots of people's homes, and one of the joys that I've had of visiting people's homes is that first of all, I always look at their bookshelves. Let me look at their bookshelves, just you know, see what see what's on there, and uh, and then look at music collections. But over the years, there have been some people's homes I've been to, and I've not had to look at their music collection because they're really keen to not just explain it, they're really keen to play it. And and I've been in people's homes where they talk about, as they play in the tracks, the memories that it kicks off. 
Um, I remember, you know, sometimes over the years, I've gone to the homes of people who've had addictive backgrounds. They've had serious drug addiction issues in their past, and uh, they've come to Christ. They found Jesus. They got this new life. But then they play, and, and I got to say this right because I said it wrong in the first service. I said vinyl. It's vinyl. They get it. They they don't get their vinyl records out. They get their vinyl records out. I don't know where I got that description, that pronunciation from, but it's completely wrong. And they play these records that they've had for years. And you can see that as they play them and they crank the volume up, they're not just appreciating its music. It's taking them somewhere. It's taken them to some of those heady days of their addiction. It's taken them to some memories about their identity. It takes them to a place that's sort of challenging something of the newness of what they're now living. Now, I don't really want to just get into just what, and you know, this is not my style to talk about, listen, let's look at the lyrics of a song and let's pull it apart. Um, I'm not wanting to create a divide around, around the issues of, Christian and non-Christian music, um, because I don't know when it becomes Christian. Is it who sings it? Is it who writes it? Is it who performs it? Is it where it's performed? I don't know. I don't think the answers to those things are really simple, and I think all things are spiritual in our lives anyway. But So my purpose is not to create a narrative of a critique of music. My purpose this morning is to bring a thought and a stretch and a challenge about getting rid of those things in our life that take us to places that are not beneficial. And we've all got them. There are things that seek to dominate and take us places. And if you have such a music collection, and at the moment I'm talking about soundtracks, but of course this may be metaphorical, might be other things, not just music, but if, I look, if you look at your music collection, and I wanted to ask you the question, is it beneficial? I'm not asking, is it sinful? I'm asking, is it beneficial? Does it do things in you that's not beneficial? It's a good question, isn't it? Is it sinful? Is it wrong to listen to this sort of music? And sinful is just one aspect of living out a life of following Jesus. Jesus is not just asking the question, is it sinful? He's actually asking the question, is it beneficial? Because there are things that are sinful that are definitely harmful to us. Sin is harmful. But there are also things that are not sin that are not beneficial in our lives. And writing about food, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 10, he's talking about what they take into their bodies food-wise and about how that's perceived and understood by other people. And he says these words, and I'm not going to, translate this into food. I'm going to translate it into the things that we bring into our lives, whether that's to our ears, our eyes, or our understanding, or our feelings. And he said this, you say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Now, as I said, this context was about food, and that's not why we're looking at it here, but there is an important part of our lives that what we allow into our lives can process in us. It can, it can accomplish things. It achieves things. And, you know, I've got to be honest. There are some conversations that um, you feel like 
when you leave that they've been critical or they've been cynical or they've been destructive about other people, you feel like you need a wash afterwards. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or there's an environment that's been just slighting other people and it just feels like, oh, that didn't feel very comfortable in my spirit. Or there might be something you watch or a book you read or music you listen to. And, and it's got values which are different to the values that you and I live by. And it just makes us feel like we're sullied in some way. We just need a shower. We just need to come before God and say, God, that, that just wasn't very healthy for me. And you might leave the conversation and say, well, I didn't, I didn't join it. I didn't criticize. I didn't partake in their cynicism. But... The thoughts, the ideas, the words, they've got into your mind and it just feels like it's not beneficial. And just because some things are okay doesn't mean to say they're beneficial. And Paul writing here says you need to really think about what's beneficial because God cares about you and I living beneficial lives, not just okay lives. Our vision here is that people will thrive in the abundance of God and the abundant life that God has for us. And it's not just to be okay and to make it, but it's to thrive. Amen. I remember a number of years ago, when I was in my teens, it's more than a number of years ago now, it's getting longer and longer away. When I have to fill forms, I have to scroll through pages to find my year of birth now. Man, how did that happen? Like I'm interviewing people for roles now that I just think, you were born yesterday, and how does that happen? But I remember um, there was lots of, lots of discussion and debate in my teens about the sort of music that we should listen to. And I remember someone answering a question as to how do you know if it's right or not? How do you know if it's beneficial or okay? And the answer they gave, I think, is a really interesting answer. But it's an answer that maybe you might find too challenging. And the answer is this, if you're unsure whether something is not just okay, but it's beneficial, if you're unsure, then pray and fast for three days, and then try doing it. And if it still feels beneficial after that, then God's smiling on it. But if not, stop it. That was a really interesting answer. And as we clear out the junk of our past from our garages and as we get rid of the stuff that's from a past season, let's make sure that we don't have time machines that take us back to a person that no longer exists. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. You're not an upgraded person. You're not a modified person. You're not an enhanced person when you come to Jesus. You are a new person. A new creation. The old is still hanging around something. No, the old is gone. The new has come. And see, what we're dealing with in our life is the memories. It's the taking us back to a person who no longer lives. It's the going back and living out things that have held us. Some of those roadblocks we've looked at. Some of those new logical pathways. Some of those renewing of the minds that we've talked about over recent weeks. If you've missed those, do catch up with them. But I sense this, that the Spirit of God is saying that there are people who want to live free from unhealthy manifestations in their lives. Things like anger, 
jealousy, cynicism, destructive words. You want to live free, but you don't want to let go of your time machines. Whether your time machine is music, stories, photographs, memorabilia, or souvenirs. And let me just clarify here. I'm not talking about getting rid of all the songs that remind you of just those beautiful occasions in our life. You know, there are lots of good things in our life that we are called to remember. The scripture says, um, you know, that we should constantly, continuously remember the faithfulness of God. We should remember the goodness of God, that we should have in our minds and our understanding the ability to know that as he's been faithful, he will be faithful. And we need to remember his faithfulness of the past to know his faithfulness in the present and the future. So I'm not talking about, you know, getting rid of all of the memories of those good things in your life. But those things that are not beneficial, time machines, are to go. Philippians 3, verses 10 to 20, quite a few verses here. So let's look at them on the screen and let's look through what they're saying to us. I want to know Christ. And I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. I want to share in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we've already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they're really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we eagerly await for him to return as our Savior. Just out of these verses, we read a few things. First of all, that we read that the exhortation is to press on to create righteous order in our lives. We'll look more of that in a moment, but everything within us is to be synchronized with the new self, not the old self. There's that compatibility, that synchronization that God is working. He's working on our minds and our hearts. He's working on our lifestyle. He's working on our decisions. He is looking to bring us to a place of synchronization into the ways of wisdom. Secondly, we see that we are told to forget the past and to look with faith to the future. You know, so often I've understood sharing testimonies. In fact, I was taught this, that you have the before you come to Christ. This is what my life was like. 
and you share those stories and then you say how you met Christ and then, and it's supposed to be the large bit of the emphasis that this is how Christ has changed my life. That's what we understood to be testimonies. But actually, when we read in Revelation, it says, and we overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That's not a standing before the enemy going, well, I used to live like this. And then I met Jesus like this, and now my life's been like this. Testimony referred to in the book of Revelation is a testimony of God is awesome. God is faithful. God is just. God is powerful. God is redemptive. God brings hope. God brings life. It's a pointing to him. And I sometimes think, you know, when we do baptisms, it's really, you know, always a joy to hear people share their stories of how they met Jesus. But really, baptism is not about the person going through the water so much. It's about the testimony of the one that raises them up in newness of life. It's pointing to Jesus. And our lives are meant to forget the past and to point to the one who's brought us hope for the future. No time machines. Thirdly, it says the race is hampered if we carry heavy loads. We've had the Great West Run taking place in the city this morning. Well done for getting through all the roadblocks to get here. But I didn't see any runners run past me this morning with heavy suitcases. They, in fact, their material, their clothes is designed to be so light that it hardly feels on their body because they know that any weight hampers their race. We're not meant to run with rucksacks and burdens of the past. Fourthly, don't let go of the progress you have made. Don't turn back. Fifthly, don't let your rumbling stomachs, don't let the cravings to get something satisfied in you, to be satisfied by the offerings of the world, but instead go to Christ. It says don't brag about your shameful past. Don't brag. You know, I've known people who have, in an attempt to make their story sound more dramatic. They've made stuff up about their past. Have you ever heard anybody sort of share their gospel testimony and think, did you do that? And it almost like the, the more evil their past, the more wonderful the testimony. But that's not, that's not how it is. If you've been brought up in a Christian home and you've never rebelled, I want you to know your testimony is phenomenal. Because you're pointing to the one who's held you, kept you, led you, directed your steps, and brought you to know him as your savior. It's not about our past. It's about the one who saves. When there's resurrection around, why are we concerned about death? It's new life. I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Don't brag about the dead person. Finally, on this section, if we carry our identity from our shameful past, then God is saying, I want to create a clean break from that to bring it in alignment with your heavenly citizenship. There's a heavenly belonging that you and I are called to. So there are things that take us back in time. But there are also things that we've unknowingly carried forward into our present. It's almost like things of the past have traveled into our future and traveled into where we are now. Things that they're not God's design, but they live with us. 
and they're present. And here, I'm going to list some family commandments. They may come from your family. They may come from your culture. They may come from your society. They might come from your nation. But let's look at these 10 family commandments. There may be more. There may be less. I'm going to give some examples about how some of these areas can influence them. And influence is an important word to comment on. First of all, money. Maybe you've been brought up with an understanding of money that money is your best form of security. Maybe you've been brought up to understand that the more money you have, the more things you buy, the more value you have personally and the more status you gain. Maybe that's been some of the commandments around money in your life. Around conflict. Maybe some of the codes in your life, some of the commandments, some of the instructions, some of the society expectations that might be present that you're carrying around. It might be this. It might be something like, if someone hurts you, hurt them back more. Don't let them do that to you again. Or it might be that your family code has been, if someone hurts you, sit and stew on it. And just let it slide rather than stir up any conflict. Sex. Maybe your code, your expectations, is that it's a subject that shouldn't be spoken about because it's dirty. Or maybe you've been brought up in a code, certainly this is a code of our society, that it's, it's only a physical act, and if it's between consenting adults, then what harm is it? Grief. Maybe your family code or your society code has been, don't show sadness. Because it's a sign of weakness. Just pick yourself up and move on. If you recognize these in your family or some other examples around it, or in your nationality or your culture, just clock it for a moment. Anger. Maybe your code has been, if I want to explode on others to get my own way, then I will do it. Or maybe, in contrast, your code has been, rather than explode, I'm just going to express my frustrations through sarcasm and cynicism. Families. Maybe your commandments, your code, your understanding is that don't let the side down by airing your family's dirty washing in public. It might be that your code is that your family comes before everything else. Hurt, number seven, don't trust anyone, could be the code of your life. They will only hurt you if you trust them, so do not trust them. Or maybe your code, your commandment, your culture, your understanding, your interpretation. And let me just say, these are probably not sitting on the fridge in your home as a list of things of doing and don't. They live in our subconscious. And maybe your understanding of hurt is you never let anybody get close enough to you because they may hurt you. Don't show vulnerability because people will use it against you. Others, maybe your code, your command, your understanding, your engagement is that you only mix with people who are like you. 
Maybe you've been brought up to look down on people who are different to you. Nine, success. I wonder what the gold star of success is in your understanding and in your life. Is it get the best education, get the best jobs, lead the best company, set up the best business, get the best marriage, have the best kids? Is that success? And feelings, number 10. Maybe you've lived with a code that says your feelings are not important. Or maybe you react to everything by your feelings and without any regard to its impact and its implications on others. I wonder if you can discern the commandments that have brought you to where you are today. And again, they're not on their fridge, but you're in, they're in your subconscious. They may, in their origins, go back many generations. They might have been passed down the line. There may be a great, great, great grandparent that was deeply hurt and offended once. And they said, we will never let anybody get that close to us again. And their kids grew up in that environment. And their kids, your great, great grandparents, they're the ones that then grew up. And that's what you do in someone with other people. And it's been passed down the generations. And no one sat down and taught it to you. No one's gone through a manual. But you've picked it up by osmosis from your environment. And they become the commands that we live by. What are the rules that govern our lifestyle, drive our ambitions and our dreams? What are they? When do these codes become a stumbling block to living healed and free? Well, the answer is when they conclude a different answer from the wisdom of God. Let's just look at some of these from God's perspective for a moment. Money. Listen, money does not make you secure. It's important to remember that as we're faced with 8 or 9% inflation, as we're faced with just so much lack of confidence in our financial structures, we find our security not in what's in our bank account or what's in our wallet. We find our security in God. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Note, it's not money. Money is amoral. It's the love of it. And if it's your security, if it's understood to be the best army to protect you from the pain of this world, you will love it. See how our philosophies, our codes, our commandments, they begin to work through into the practice of our lives. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Secondly, conflict. Conflict, the scripture tells us, not only does it exist, but it should be engaged with. Conflict can be done and should be done. In fact, it is necessary that it is done in a healthy way. If these next few verses I'm going to read could be lived out in the family of God, the family of God would be very different today. Matthew 18, verse 15, says, If another believer sins against you, they're the worst kind of sins, aren't they? 
I've heard people who've been hurt by other Christians on so many occasions say, I expect it in my workplace. I expect it from my non-Christian family, but I don't expect it in church. I don't expect it from other people who profess to be my brothers and sisters. It seems to hurt deeper because we are not ready for it because we assume it shouldn't happen. But Jesus says, if another believer sins against you, this is what you do. You go privately and you point out the offense. He doesn't say call a prayer meeting with three people and share your point of prayer with them in confidence where you're really recruiting them to be on your side because you're trying to build up a bit of a case because beneath your prayer request there is hurt and beneath that hurt, you want other people to not celebrate the person who's hurt you. So you'll just sow some seeds just to make other people feel hurt as well. It doesn't say to do that. It says to go to them privately. And then, then it says, what happens if they don't hear it? It says, if the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful... Take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. You notice the persistence here? If you've got a family code that says we don't do conflict, you will leave and walk away from anything that hurts and offends you and you will be living with a whole series of open wounds that will not be resolved. And we could have a moment where we pray that God will set you free from the offenses and the hurt but you see, there's a lifestyle of living this that isn't just about an encounter of having someone lay hands on you and break the chains of that injustice over your life, but it's about you living in such a way that actually, as Reinhard Bonke, the late famous preacher, says that flies don't live on hot stoves. When we turn our lives up in a way that's inviting our lives to live according to the synchronized rules and ways of God, then we find that these things in an encounter moment, we're set free and we live free yeah. and living free God is interested in you and I not just living okay but living knowing what's beneficial and what's good and what's right yeah. but it says if after taking two or three witnesses the person still refuses to listen take your case to the church then if he or she won't accept the church's decision treat that person as a pagan or as a Manchester United supporter. <laughs> just sense the energy dripping in the room. I just need to get you all back. I'm going to have a queue of people afterwards bringing my sin against me right there. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I get people coming to me quite regularly and say, Mark, can I have a word of you? Somebody's hurt me. And they've done this, they've said this, they've behaved in this way. And I want you to hear what I will ask you if you come to me and say that. Have you spoken to them? I would say nine times out of ten, they awkwardly look at me and say, 
I haven't. I'm not good with conflict. And I know it's a real tough thing. I know it doesn't feel like a nice thing to do. And there are ways that you prepare your heart for that conversation, which we haven't got time to go into today. But God is always after resolution. And he wants us to live beneficial, not just okay. Three, sex. Did you know that sex wasn't a result of the fall? Sex predated sin. Did you know it was designed by God to be a beautiful way of bringing husband and wife together? Did you know it was part of God's design to point to the intimacy of us with our, the lover of our souls? It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But hear this as well, whatever your family code has been, sex isn't necessary to make you truly human. Because that's a code in the world. How can I be fulfilled? How unfair is it that I don't have someone that I can sleep with? Or that I can have my sexuality affirmed? Jesus never had an intimate sexual relationship, and yet he was fully human. Yeah. Grief. I'm so, God, God doesn't, I'm so glad God doesn't say, just pull yourself together. <laughs> Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. If your code is we don't show emotion, we don't do this, Please ditch your dodgy code and take on the one that's for the new self. Anger. Proverbs 19.11 says, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Family. You know, I know it sounds deeply spiritual to say our family is our absolute priority. But I need to put in there that if your family is an absolute priority above what God means in your life, one of the toughest things that Jesus said was in Matthew 8, where someone said, I'll follow you, but I first got to go and I've got to attend to a few things. I've got to sort a few things out with my family. And it looks like Jesus is being really callous. And he says, follow me now. Let the, let the dead bury their own dead. Now, he wasn't saying, don't worry about your dad's corpse. Probably his dad hadn't died at that point. In the culture of the day, there was a sense of, you know, that you would fulfill your duty and you would be around for your father's last days. And then... You'd bury them. But Jesus was saying, not, not decrying human connections and relationships. The scriptures talk about family. They talk about the wonder of relationships. Jesus wasn't speaking against those things, but he was saying, you will have no other gods before me or codes before me or family before me. Hurt. Ephesians 4, 2-3 says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. If you're hurt, 
Just, I love that phrase, make every effort. And then others, you know, this desire maybe to, or this code about people who are like you, only hang out with people who are like you. And we all have got a propensity for that. You know, students, we love you being part of the church. I, I'd love you to not just have a strong student, adult, young adults in student ministry. I'd love you to hang out with some of our grandparents in the yeah, church. Amen. I'd love you to know you're part of a family. Yeah. I'd love there to be this interaction of cultures and ages and backgrounds. Because that's what family, God's family is. Yeah. We're not meant just to hang out with people who, well, I don't, have, I don't know what to say. We'll learn what to say. Come on, deal with your social ineptitude and learn how to engage in conversation. Do you know a good way of starting is show an interest in them. Somebody's got, everyone's got a passion somewhere. Find it. Take your fishing rod out in your conversation and, nope, that didn't work. Nope, that didn't work. Wow, I've got a catch here. What a rich joy that is to know just the diversity of the kingdom. Success is not about your job, although I pray you have a good job. It's not about your accolades in life, although I'd nominate you all for an MBE. It's not about these things. Success is simply defined, as somebody once put, obedience to God, empowered by the Spirit of God, motivated by the love of God, directed towards the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's success. And then feelings. God's not devoid of feelings. We understand the Holy Spirit's got feelings. The Bible says that we can grieve the Spirit. He's got feelings. 1 Peter 5, 7 says... Cast in all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Isn't yes. <laughs> that lovely? Yes. cares for us. Yes. Ephesians 4, 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. God wants to set us free from everything of the old self. And he wants us to live free. Whom the sun sets free, he sets free 80%, And let's be honest, the realities of our lives is how many of you absolutely know, hand on heart, without, that there's no contradiction in your life? There are in mine. There's a dichotomy between what I know to be true and what I live to be true. There was in Paul, he says, what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I do. That contradiction, that place between the head and the heart, the longest journey in our lives. And yet God doesn't want to be theory. He doesn't want us to walk a walk of faith that's all about the right things to say in the right places. He wants us to live a life of abundance and fruitfulness, and joy, and peace, and healing, and life. He wants you and I to know that abundant life. But it doesn't just come, the new person comes by a work of miracle and grace, but our memories, our lifestyle, the codes that we live by, the time machines we travel in, they always want to take us back.
back to the old self. Band, would you come and join me? And I'm not going to bring a public response this morning. I'm not going to invite you to come forward and get prayed with. We're going to do that next week. And I believe that the groundwork that God has been speaking into our lives over recent weeks is going to prepare the way for what the Spirit of the Lord wants to do. But I want, just as the band play quietly, I want to ask you some reflective questions. And I want to encourage you to close your eyes, to dismiss the distractions. And I want to ask you two questions. What are the soundtracks and the time machines to your old self? Are there time machines that keep transporting you back? Are there stories that you need to stop telling? Are there experiences? Is it music? And as crazy as it sounded when I started off, I just really sense the Spirit of the Lord wants to help people to dismantle their time machines. To stop going back. Forgetting the former things. I press on. And the key thing with the scripture is not our knowledge of it. It's not our interpretation of it. The key thing is our obedience to it. so we can hear all this this morning and if there's not some decision, some action, some obedience, then it's just been a pretty fruitful exercise to be honest. So maybe now, think about the time machines that you need to destroy, get rid of. Holy Spirit, help all these decisions, I pray. Help us, Lord. The second question I want to ask you is what have been the inherited commandments that you've lived under? I may have touched on some of them, but there were just a few of many that might be the codes that you've lived by. stand up against those codes and say no longer I'm going to live free of those things that stop me stepping into the beneficial of the kingdom Thank mm-hmm. you.
going to push you now. What decisions are you going to make? What responses? How are you going to obey? this morning you don't know Jesus as your saviour never experienced the tenderness and the care and the compassion of his love you've never known that sense of him removing the shame of your life and reorientating your life to follow him wholeheartedly or maybe you've gone away from him and you know his spirit's calling you home I'm going to pray a simple prayer and I'm going to invite you to pray this in your mind. God will hear. And the prayer goes like this. Jesus, I want to know you. I want to invite you to come and remove the shame of my past. I want to invite you to come and heal my broken heart. I want to invite you to come and live your life in and through me. I want to become part of your family. And I want to live my days following you. So as you forgive me, please fill me with your love and your spirit in Jesus' name while you remain praying if you pray that prayer in the room just let me know you prayed it with you by lifting your hands when I've seen it I'll acknowledge it and you can put it down again or online you can just put it in the chat I prayed that prayer and someone would love to talk with you if that's you just lift your hands so I can see it Let's all stand together. There's a scripture we're going to put on the screen. Psalm 40. If you can see that, I'm going to ask you to read it out together. Let's say this. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Come on, let's say that again. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what He has done and be amazed, and they will put their trust in the Lord. Come on, let that new song rise in your hearts now. As the band may lead us in one song to conclude our gathering. Let's let this week be a week filled with the soundtrack of our heavenly calling.